And it's, it's only your feelings that count. There's no real truth. It is really whatever suits you. And when I look around, I, I think it just leads to a world of confusion. No one really knows what they believe. Uh, they chop and change. You know, yesterday was Super Saturday, wasn't it? Was it Super Saturday? Didn't happen, did it? Nothing happened. You know, we have all these expectations and things that are going to happen. Doesn't happen. There's confusion. And as the Christian, you will be confused, I think, if you don't sometimes take a step back and, and have that time to listen to God and be taught by his living word. It's his word that is truth. Um, there's a lot of truth in the world, but there's a lot, a lot of confusion as well. And in that world of confusion, the Christian can say, well, there's real freedom to be found. In fact, I've put this talk, I've called it freedom found in, in the word. There's freedom to be found. There's freedom for the Christian to be found in faith in Christ and faith in God's word. The Christian disciple, though he lives in the world, can be anchored either to the world because sometimes we will get tempted to do that, but really we need to be anchored in God's word. Because there's so many conflicting voices, you've got so many choices of things you could believe, so by it, it's actually easier to come back to the word and say, well, this is what God says, and I'm going to stick by it. So we've got to be anchored to God and his ways. And in this world of confusion and opinions, I think it's imperative, more than ever, for the church to honour God's word, seek God's will, and not the world's. If I can have the first slide up, and then I'll change them after that, uh, Martin. There you go, it's nice, isn't it? Look at that. Took me ages. This is what the psalmist is saying in this passage we've read tonight. He says in verse 41, May your unfailing love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. When we sing living hope and the cross is spoken, and I am forgiven, and, and I'm his and he is mine. This is what the cross does. And, you know, this morning um, at Perry Street, we had the brigade service. And uh, it was brilliant. I loved it. I loved it. And, but what struck me was none of them are in here now. I mean, some of you are, but the, the people that weren't believers are not here tonight. They don't know overly about this table. They don't know what it means. And we've got this privilege to come to this table because we can echo with the psalmist, your unfading love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. And this is where we start with, first and foremost, we have to remember, I have to remember that God has rescued me. I can sing living hope because of what he's done. Not because of what the world's told me. I have to remember, and you have to remember, that first and foremost, this is our starting point for everything else, God has rescued you from the penalty of sin, which is death, the wrongdoings. The cross has spoken, you're forgiven. Salvation has come to you, which is what the psalmist is asking for. God's unfailing love rests on you. Whatever's going on in your life right now, or my life, that is a truth. And I can listen to the world, like, where's God, and did he really create, and does he really love you? And I can listen to all of that, but if I go back to his word, and his precepts, his statutes, yes, he does. He loves you enough that he sent his son to die for you, and that's why he wants you to remember it. God's unfailing love, whatever difficulties or good things that are going on in your life, is on you. Uh, it's an anchor that all of us have to hold on to. Because life is tough sometimes. Uh, it can be great, it can be somewhere in between, and sometimes it's just really tough. But God loves you. And my life and your life has to be lived out in that truth. That God has got you. He's got you. Whatever you're going through, good, bad, indifferent, he has you. That's brilliant, isn't it? So let's see if slide two comes up. Never works for me. 
I know it's going to go on the fourth one in a minute, and I'm going to start. Oh, look at that. Is that number two? No, I'm lost. Is that number two? Or... No, that's it. That's number two. Yeah, I forgot. That took me ages as well, look. So, if we go through this, uh, what the psalmist says, the first thing, verse 42 to 44, it says we can be confident in his word. So we've got our salvation. That is truth. We can be confident in that, confident in his word. We can be confident in his word in this world of confusion with all its different opinions. We can go back to his word. Verse 42, he says, I can answer those who taunt because I trust in your word. Yeah, and this country has moved away from God. And dare I say it, so have some churches. So we've got to remember that God's word is forever. It's, it's truth. And with all these messages, I can listen to them, but I don't have to believe them. I believe his word. And I do believe he'll grow his church where we honour his word. And we have sacrificial worship. And we have our hearts turned to him. But this country has moved away from God. People think they know best. And they might mock our faith. But how are they doing so far? Yeah, it's going down the tubes. You know, shouldn't mention tubes, should you? People have been thrown off them recently, haven't they? And beaten up and all sorts of things going on. But you know, they mock our faith. They mock our faith. And I want to say to you, well, how's it working out for you? Look at the confusion as we've gone away from God. They can mock, and sometimes they can mock the church as it moves away, sometimes when it capitulates from the truth. We must not do that. We must stand firm. First ways. Always. That's the, and that's having confidence in the word. And then we've got value of the word. Verse 43. Do not snatch the word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. You know, some countries ban the Bible. They recognise it's a powerful book. You know, and people under threat of death might have a gospel in, in bits of paper tucked in their pockets. In our country, it's just neglected. In some churches, it's neglected. And it shouldn't be. It is such a powerful book, collection of books. And it's truth. And so the Christian must see the value of the word of God and not allow the enemy to snatch it out of our, uh, our mouths, either because we can't be bothered with it or we're not allowed to have it. The Christian response, verse 44, I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will always obey. It might mean I've got to forgive someone I don't feel like forgiving. It might be I've got to show love to someone I don't feel like loving. It might be they want to give sacrificially, which we're talking about next Sunday, because it's for the Lord's work. And maybe it's supposed to hurt a little bit. It means that I'm going to come to worship sometimes, even when I don't feel like it. But the blessings that come from it, if I go back to the original point, which he saved me. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Everything I do is out of that. It's out of gratitude. It does mean his self-sacrifice. It does mean, I know we say it, the schoolboy definition, it does mean, what would Jesus do in some situations? So if I rely on myself and what the world says, I will go and punch the fellow who, who upset me or cut me up or whatever, or just go my own way. I, I, I look at something, I want it, I'll get it. Or a relationship and, and be disobedient. I could do all those things. That's not God's word. That's not God's words. And my, my, work, my life has to be lived out in light of what Jesus did on the cross. Cost God everything. Everything. It means that I'm not going to be a chameleon. You know, a chameleon changes its colour, whatever, whatever place it's in. And the result of that, verse 45, what do I call it? The freedom found in the word. The sermon title, I should have remembered. There's, there's freedom. He says, verse 45, I will walk about in freedom, for I sought out your priests. If you see... It goes against what the world says. You know, it doesn't want the rules and regulations. Verse 44, I will always obey your law forever and ever. 
And the next verse, and I'll walk in freedom. There's freedom in the obedience. It means I haven't got to make that many decisions. I should go back to the word of God and see what it says. So that's it. And whatever's going on in my life or the world, I can't change and be a comedian just because it suits me as much as sometimes I'd love to. I have to come back to the word of God. True freedom. The example I've got of this is um, when I first became a Christian. Uh, we, we, we used to have, it's not anymore because they've cracked down um, the regulators, but we, we used to have big expense accounts and we take clients out to all these fancy places. And you, you, you might be a bit envious, but I can tell you when, when you're still there at two in the morning, you have to get up at 4.30, it's not so much fun. But we used to have quite a big expense account and yeah, it got to a point where I was kind of a Christian, but I didn't want to tell anybody because I think, well, they're going to mock me and I'm on a trading floor. It's not, I wasn't aware of anybody else uh, doing that. But then clients would come over and say, I want to go to this place. And I said, well, yeah, I, I can't make that night. So I didn't particularly want to go there because I'm a Christian now and I don't want to get involved in everything. And, um, and they used to mock me. I said, what's the matter with you, Smith? Who are you doing? And then one day I finally said, you know, I... I actually said, I started playing football for the church. I went such a long-winded way around it, but eventually got to the point. I said, I'm a Christian, and it's just not for me. And he went, oh, well, we respect that. And it was actually easier to be known as a Christian rather than trying to come up with all these excuses. In the end, they just, they just didn't ask me. They used to say to me, we're taking this client here and whatever. Can you take him out on the Monday? Because we know you're not going to come on the Tuesday. It was just easier. There was freedom in the truth, real freedom. Real freedom. And then we get, we need that sort of renewed search for truth, verse 46 to 48, the boldness in the word of God, the boldness. So verse 46 to 48, I will speak of your statutes before kings and will not be put to shame, for I delight in your commands because I love them. I lift up my hands to your commands, which I love, and meditate the degrees, decrees. Do you know, and I was thinking about the state of the world and all the, the self kind of talk, I'm self this and self that and, and it's about me and it's the pursuit of everything else. And I thought, where, where are our modern day prophets? Where are the people really standing up? And as I read the Old Testament and look at the prophets, we were talking about this, they all said stuff that people didn't want to hear. They weren't, they weren't concerned, they wanted to say what God said. They didn't try and fit in with the culture. You won't find a prophet in the Old Testament that didn't come across real hardship. Right, Jeremiah was thrown into the cistern or whatever it was. You know, we, we like getting all the nice verses, but they all, they all had trouble, all of them. But they were more interested in serving God than the people. And we need, I think, some modern-day prophets to speak into these times. We need church leaders to honour the truth, even though it goes really, in some regards, against the current thinking. So at a point, they'll be called bigots and, and you know, not, not loving everybody and all this sort of stuff that gets attacked because you can't hold the view. But we've got to hold the view of the Bible. And, and I think I've mentioned this before. The only example I've got, sadly, not that I've got anything against him, but it was when the Pope last visited England. And I think I've told you before, the people on the desk I was on, they said, oh, your mate's coming over. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, the Pope. I said, well, I know what you mean. He's not my mate. And we've got different church doctrine. But I understand what you're saying. He's this church leader. And he said, he's going to come over. He's going to tell everybody what they ought to do and think. And nobody is going to listen to him. And I said, well, okay. And then the following week, because he came over, and actually millions listened to him. And he said some really controversial, by the world standards, things. He spoke out against divorce. He spoke out against um, uh, abortion. 
And he spoke out, I can't remember the other thing he spoke out, but he really was quite, he was very outspoken of things that actually the Christian church is not saying much in this country. And when I went into work the next week, he said, you know, I've got to tell you, Ian, um, I didn't agree with everything he said, but isn't it refreshing to see a church leader stand up and tell us what he really believes in? Prophet, and trying to just change it and fit in with everybody. And I thought, yeah, where are the modern day prophets? We need to have confidence and boldness uh, in, in, in the word. And uh, let me just, uh, I think I've missed a, I'm useless at this, I need to, there we go, coming up to the Lord's Supper. It's like what I did on that one as well. See, it took me ages all this stuff. I'm not very good. He gives us another command. We've got to be true in his word. And one of his commands is to come to this table and take it seriously. He had a warning, actually, if we don't take it seriously. And so when I look at this, what the psalmist writes, confidence in the word, holding on to the word, not neglecting the word. There's so much in the Bible about the word. There's so many verses. And the temptation, we went to, quite a few of us went to um, Rayleigh Baptist Church last week, talking about some issues and, and have ministers and other people there. And the difference of views. And we're sitting there and we're thinking, why can't, why can't they just get into the word? You know, one person, I shouldn't really, I'm not, one person was, what you need to do is get all your members. We cringed, didn't we? To get all your members... Ask what their view is and just go with it. And I thought, what? what? We should be going to the word of God. Sometimes, unfortunately, sometimes we have to preach things you don't want to hear. But go back to the prophets. They all, they all have to say things. Sometimes there's reprimand in the Bible. You know, so, but if we start trying to fit in with everybody else, it's not going to work. It just leads to opinions. It's no good. And we've got to come back to this word. So as we come to communion tonight, let's just really commit to it. Let's commit to God. Remember what he's done on the cross. It is amazing. He gave us a command, which is why we do this. Because we honour what's recorded in the Bible. He said, do this in remembrance of me. He gave us a command. He broke the bread. He said, this is my body. And who was it for? It was for you. The cross has spoken. I'm forgiven because of what he did. And he said, remember this. And I wonder if he's, I don't know what he was thinking. Maybe he knew the times that were coming, all the distractions. But remember this. Remember this. Remember my word. This is my body given for you. And he takes the, it's the new covenant. He says, eat and drink in remembrance of me. Don't forget me. But sometimes I wonder whether the church does. You know, we're so busy trying to fit in. We're not supposed to fit in. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you get it in your mind? You read his word. You know? And we keep, we keep it just seems that we're, we're turning, we're fitting in. We're not supposed to fit in. When I was at Spurgeon's, uh, we did, I, my favourite subject was the doctrine of the church. And there's always an ethics. So we had the doctrine of Christ and the ethics of humanness, doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and I can't remember what ethic that was. Uh, but a doctrine of the church and the ethics of distinctiveness. And I remember him saying, we can bend, we can bend a bit, but never bend so much we break. And I think some churches in this country are broken. And I don't think God will bless them. But I think if we honour his word, and we have authentic worship, and I said it went first when I came to this church, if we take his word seriously and have authentic heart-given worship, he will build his church. Because that's a true church. So... He says to us, take the bread, because it's been given for you. Take the cup of the new covenant. You're free. There's freedom in in obedience. There's freedom in saying, I want to please God because of what what he's done for me. Eat and drink in remembrance of me. 
Sorry, last slide that you're going to get. There it is. I'll put that uh, justification up there again. Let me read this uh, to you. But now, apart from... And look at, the, look at the diagram. You see the diagram you've got? This is the justification by faith. There's us, the believer. All your wrong stuff, right? The cross has spoken. All your wrong stuff has been put on the cross with Christ. Okay? That's the cross speaking. Not only that, his righteousness is credited to you. You're, you're forgiven. The cross has spoken. I am forgiven. Justification. The schoolboy definition is justified, never sinned. And the Bible says your sins are remembered no more. Yet there's one that wants to condemn us. So let me listen to Romans 3, 21 to 25 and then we'll pray. But now apart from the law of righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's where we were. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, the living hope. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Isn't that incredible? Jesus Christ, my living hope, the cross has spoken. I am forgiven. He's mine, I'm his. And I will honour his word. And it costs sometimes. It really does. But you have to, we, if you start compromising, we're in, we're in terrible trouble. Terrible trouble, because he is Lord. Society's not Lord. The government's not Lord. You're, you're not Lord. You know, I was told very early on, you know, you're a servant of the church here, but the church is not your master. There's only one, and it's God. If that means we have to say things sometimes that are unpalatable, then we'll say them, because it's God's word. And that's what we won't err from. So let me pray for us and let's get our hearts ready for uh, communion. But remember, it all comes out of, first and foremost, he saved you. Everything else is a response to that great thing. And he sends his spirit to help us to want to obey his commands, recognising that we don't get it right all the time, which is right to spend time just in a, a time of quiet confession, bring those things you know you ought to before God. But remember his great promise that for those that confess their sins, he who is faithful will forgive them. The cross has spoken, you're forgiven. Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, all of us can sometimes have a temptation to skip over things, take a verse out of context and use it for our own good or bad. I pray, Lord, we'll be students of your word, because, not because it's just a theology thing and a mind thing, although you tell us to love you with our minds as well as everything else, but it, they'll be transformed, and we'd be transformed by the renewing of our mind because your word is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. And Lord, we know our world needs it, and I pray that we would be a church that is faithful to your word, which is going to become increasingly more difficult in the years ahead. I pray, Lord, we won't be a church that capitulates and that we'll always honour the fact what you've done for us on the cross and that the rest of it, our lives, are lived out of gratitude of that fact. So as we come to communion, we thank you for the bread and the wine and what they represent, your body and blood. We thank you that we have the forgiveness of sins. But in this time, Lord, we want to honour you. You said, do this in remembrance of me. We want to remember what you've done so that we don't take the bread and drink the wine uh, with some sort of glib attitude, that we're really grateful. And we'd say that tonight, Lord. We thank you so much for Jesus, 
and what he's done. We thank you, Lord, that he has set us free. And I pray, Lord, we'll honour him and his word as we go out into the world. So in these moments of quietness, Lord, we just offer up our own prayers. We thank you, Lord, that you're not a far away God. You're a very close God to us, made possible through Christ. And we, as we've offered these prayers, we do accept and receive and acknowledge your forgiveness. Set us free from any guilt and shame or any doubts and help us to live wholeheartedly for you because this, the world we live in needs true Christians honouring your word, living your word out in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.